Hey, good morning, Georgetown. Happy 4th of July, Independence Day week. I would invite you to open your scriptures to 1 Samuel chapter 21, and then also to Psalm 34. We won't be in Psalm for a while, but uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. And uh, to just kind of set this, we'll talk briefly before and then some after. This is after David leaves Nob. Uh, You're not supposed to know where that is yet, so don't worry. It's just a town that was known for the priests. It was the town of priests. He leaves Nob, and he's running for his life from Saul, and he runs to Gath. So I'm going to read starting in verse 10, and you guys have a sing-along part, so pay attention. I'll tell you when your part is. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Some of you are like, I think I've heard that before. We'll get to it. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? And they're referring, of course, to Israel. Isn't he the one that they sing about in their dances? Now, it's sing-along time, so I'll sing the first part. Saul has slain his thousands. And then you guys would say, and David his... I know, I mean, you guys are like, where do I download that? I love this song. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And and while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, and some of you are thinking like, you're talking about my workplace right now. Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? You guys may want to use that at work tomorrow. Not if you want to keep a job, but you may want to. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So that was David's experience in Gath, sort of in a nutshell. But we also have David's response in Psalm 34. So you may want to find your way to Psalm 34. And I won't be referencing 1 Samuel again, but that's the background for what we're going to read in Psalm chapter 34. So from Nob, and we'll just make Nob over here, from Nob to Gath, David is on the road trip, not of a lifetime, but David is on a road trip to save his own life. I checked on a couple of the the most iconic road trips in America. And so I've just got three for you. And some of you may have been on your own that you want to share. And I'd love to hear about those. And if you want to take me on this third one, pack me in your bag. Route 66 starts in Chicago and travels through the plains of America, clear out to Santa Monica, which is, sorry, west. Santa Monica Pier in the Pacific Ocean, a beautiful trip, I'm sure. The Overseas Highway is off the tip of Florida and goes from Key Largo down to Key West, 113 miles of, if you don't like water, don't go, bridge after bridge after bridge, even seven-mile bridge. But you would see coral reefs, and you would see bright, white, sandy beaches, and I love beaches. And you might see some lighthouses. And my favorite one that you should definitely take me on, the Road to Hana. This drive is 60 miles of twists and turns on a Hawaiian island where you would see seals and mango trees and cliffs and black sand beaches. And that just sounds really, really great to me right now. A road trip is not all about the, the destination where you plan to go. A road trip is a road trip because there can be 
you know, some side adventures. A road trip is flexible, but a road trip is just inherently just as much about the journey as it is about the destination. A road trip is really about the experience along the way there. Many of you have likely taken a road trip because it's a more affordable way to see some new places, especially when you're hauling a family. It's a great way to do things on a budget, provided you're not going to expensive places. Uh, When I graduated high school, some friends of mine and I decided we're about to not see each other for maybe the rest of our lives because of college and career paths, and we're going all over the place. So we took a road trip to Canada, of all the places. But the destination didn't really matter. We just wanted to see a game at Wrigley, and we wanted to play basketball somewhere in Chicago, and we wanted to see Niagara Falls and play basketball in Niagara Falls. And, and you're maybe catching on a theme. And we wanted to see a baseball game in Toronto, and we saw that game, and then we played basketball. But the, the road trip for us, was more about spending time together and experiencing what it was like to get to where we were going, maybe as much or more than the final destination, which is just Toronto. Nobody's really excited about Toronto. When I talked about Hawaii, you were excited. When I talked about Toronto, you're wondering what time lunch is. And I understand, because it's more about the trip. So David goes to the city of Gath. And remember, he's leaving Nob, and you don't have to know where that is, but you have to know a couple of things about the city of Gath. If it's beginning to sound more and more familiar, it's because you might remember this really big guy from chapter 17. And if you don't know anything about the Bible, you've probably heard of a guy named David and a giant named what? Say it with me, Georgetown. Goliath. You've heard the story. Well, Everybody has a hometown. In my hometown, we erect a statue for somebody we're proud of. And that's William Jennings Bryan. And he does this in the statue. And I don't know. I mean, he ran for office like a thousand times for senator and president. And we were very proud of him. Well, Goliath had a hometown. And Goliath's hometown was guess where? Gath. Okay, some of you are very good guessers. Goliath's hometown is Gath. We don't know if there was a statue. But he was a big hero. And I don't just mean very tall hero. I mean... He was the champion that day after day the Philistines sent to fight the Israelites who wouldn't send a warrior. He was their hero. Now David, who defeated him, is looking for refuge. How desperate do you have to be to go to the hometown of the guy who's the hero for your enemies? That's how desperate David was. When he fleed from Nob to Gath, I'm not sure I've ever experienced desperation that intense. I'm not sure you have. You might imagine yourself walking through this scenario. Well, you might get on a plane. Well, that's assuming that you have this resource called money to get on a plane and to go to a foreign country that's going to be an entire ocean away from, say, someone who wants to kill you like Saul wants to kill David. So David is inadvertently on this road trip to save his own life. Quick review, David first sought the Lord. We're back in the town of Nob. And if you can imagine, this will help you through the rest of the sermon. If you can imagine Nob in the east and Gath in the west. And Nob is in Israel. That's where David's from. And Gath is in Philistia, the Philistines, 
Goliath's hometown, sworn enemy to the Israelites. Now David has gone to Nob and he's gone to seek direction from the Lord because it is clear that Saul is after his life. So David's gone to seek direction from Ahimelech. Remember, he showed up alone. And remember then that he acted like he had a bunch of guys with him, that he was on a secret mission from Saul, and he tried to bum some food. He ended up getting the showbread from the, the showbread, the bread of presence from within the tabernacle. And he got Goliath's sword, and then he took off for Nob after this. Now, David didn't just take off to the next turn in the road or to the next town along the road, but he took off. Sorry, he took off from Nob to Gath. David went entirely out of his country. This trip to visit the priest in Nob did not turn out like David thought. When David went to Nob, he encountered someone named Doeg. And if you're looking in 1 Samuel 21, you'll, you'll read just a blip about Doeg, and I want to summarize it for you. It's that Doeg was there and that he was Saul's chief shepherd. It also says he was an Edomite. So he was his chief shepherd. That means he was probably trusted by Saul. And the Edomite piece seems totally useless to us until you realize he might have been an indentured servant. He might have been a man who did not have the freedom that he once enjoyed. And he was serving at the will of a king who was looking for a guy named David. And who sees David? That's Doeg. So David knows at that moment that he's about to take a road trip. I'm not sure that he knows that it's to Gath, but David at that moment decides that he's got to get out of Israel entirely. I kind of wanted to give myself a frame of reference for David's road trip to save his own life. So historians would agree that in the course of one day, in the time of David, you could travel about 30 miles, and that's at about three miles an hour, and that's 10 hours of travel, and though we don't know exactly where Gath is, it's estimated to be about 26 miles from Nob. So David has an entire day of travel, a massive road trip. What we don't know at this time is whether Ahimelech, the priest, remember he visited Nob. We don't know if it produced exactly what David was looking for. He might have been there seeking direction from God. He might have been there seeking protection. Remember this as a priestly town, so not a town of warriors, but protected by God. Presumably they should not be attacked. They're the priests. Maybe he was there for protection. But we know that his cover was blown when he saw Doeg. We just don't know if he received direction from God, go to Gath, or if David decided, I've just got to get out of Israel. We don't know that. And I don't want us to try to make a moral judgment on this. I've got a couple of good reasons. Number one, we don't see that in Scripture. So maybe we shouldn't. Maybe. And number two, Jesus talks about this passage specifically. Remember Jesus and the Pharisees and the showbread controversy of the Sabbath? Jesus doesn't condemn David for choosing to go to Gath. So let's not condemn and let's not praise David for his choice. What we can learn, however, what we can learn is how David responds. When on his, his detour to save his life, what we can learn 
is how David responds when life hits a detour. And I believe that we can find what we seek to do as Christians at Georgetown, and that's to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So turn with me to Psalm 34. We, uh, as followers of Jesus, we grow in our likeness, our representation of Jesus to our community and to one another when we behave like Jesus, when we look more like he would look in the situation we're living through. And Psalm 34 is a great example of David's choice to do just that. But I want to make a couple of observations. Uh, Number one, this psalm, chapter 34, is an acrostic. That means it was probably written with the intent to teach people something. It was written with the first letter, second letter, third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So just like ours would go A through Z, the beginning of every word in each stanza of this poem or psalm would start with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet so that someone could learn from it. The second thing that I want us to observe about Psalm 34 is that it exists. Are you guys looking at Psalm 34 right now, maybe in your own scriptures? We're going to look on it on the screen in a second, and we'll agree Psalm 34 exists, but it exists because David, in the midst of trial, in the midst of a a really bad twist and turn of life, David stops. David reflects, and David decides instead of being absorbed with self-pity because the king of Israel is trying to kill him, he decides to reflect on the character of God. An amazing feat if you asked me, because when things don't go well for me, that's not always my first response. We don't know whether David wrote this psalm while he was in Gath in captivity or whether maybe on his way out of Gath to the cave, maybe in the cave. We, we don't know that, but we see these verbs as we're going to read through here, and you're going to participate with me. We're going to see these verbs, bless, praise, magnify, exalt, boast in the Lord. So I'm going to point to you guys for words that you're going to read, and it's going to be words like the ones I just said. Are you guys ready? I will, the Lord at all times, his shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us, last one, Georgetown, exalt his name together. Now David goes on to share his testimony here. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. When the Lord hands us a victory, I'm just remembering David in this valley with this giant right before he's slain. We know David's response beforehand. I wonder if this might have been his response after The Lord hands us a victory, maybe a job well done or a big project complete. And people are praising you. And people are saying, way to go. You really nailed that. You did a great job on that project. Are we then responding by saying, I am pretty amazing. 
I'm glad you brought it up. We should talk about me. I am really amazing. Or are we responding with thanks and praise to God who gives us the passions that we have, the abilities, the experiences, even the breath we breathe while we do the project is given to us by God. So I wonder then if we accept the praise, keep it all for ourselves, or if we reflect the one who's given us the ability to do that. Listen to the way these Oklahoma softball players glorify God when they're asked about their joy, whether they win or lose, in the Women's College World Series. Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only, the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000%. Agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the call. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series. But I didn't feel joy. I didn't have. I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong. Is that. We're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys mm -hmm. see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. College students at Oklahoma. Remember David beginning that fight with Goliath, how he magnified God. In the face of Goliath taunting him, how he glorifies God for who he is. He doesn't exalt himself. Many of you will say it yourself. If someone says, uh, Mark, you know, I really appreciate the way you played that piano. And Mark would say something like, thank you, all glory to God. And so many of you will say something very similar, reflecting the praise due to a Savior and Creator that gave us the abilities that we're now sharing with this body or with our community. But what's interesting about Psalm 34, what's interesting about 1 Samuel 21 is that David isn't being praised for his great abilities. No, he's being remembered for what he did, but then the tables turn. And there's a big twist in David's road trip here because now he's a captive. And what does David choose to do in Psalm 34? We see that even as a captive of the enemy, 
David praises God for who he is. How do we respond when we're detoured? When we've got roadside trouble on the road trip of life, when it's going unexpectedly, when it's just not like we had imagined this going, do we complain? A woman had gone to see her therapist and she was starting to complain. I don't want to get married. My friends keep asking me about it. My parents keep asking me about it. I am an educated woman. I'm independent. I'm successful. I do not need to get married. What do I do? The therapist says, you no doubt are very successful. You have achieved more in life in the last five years than most would ever dream of doing in two decades. But some things are going to go wrong. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes in the road trip of life, there's going to be a turn you didn't see coming. And who are you going to blame? Are you going to blame yourself? Absolutely not, the woman says. The therapist says, see, that's why you need a husband. (laughs) David, in the middle of great trouble, instead of choosing to blame, instead of choosing to wallow in self-pity, decides to exalt, to praise to lift up, to magnify, to boast in the name of the Lord amidst his trouble. Are we so busy complaining about the trial we've encountered that we're missing the opportunity to praise God? Will our hearts become such that when we encounter a trial, that like David, maybe we could just hit pause And we could listen. And we could reflect on the nature of God, not our circumstance, but who God is in the midst of our trial. If we can't stop to listen, we'll never learn from our own mistakes. A man made a really big mistake one time. He shares the story of take your kids to to work day. He takes his daughter to work and she makes her way around the office Slowly at first, the picking up the pace, she comes back to right outside the door of his office and she sits down on the floor. She begins to cry. The whole office circles around and is trying to console the little girl. Daddy comes out and says, what's wrong, honey? And she says, where are all the clowns that you tell mommy and I that you work with every day? (laughs) If we can't stop to reflect, will we ever learn from our mistakes? If we're busy complaining, will we miss the training? What if the difficulty was the discipleship? James writes this, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Sometimes our road trips lead us through familiar places. So hold this metaphor of road trip loosely for a moment, because maybe for you it'll be a metaphor. Maybe for you it's literal. What if your road trip, whether it's a familiar road or a brand new pathway you've never been on before, is taking you to experiences through which you will increase your trust in God? And what if some of those opportunities sometimes look like hurdles? They sometimes look like flat tires and high gas prices and dirty gas station bathrooms and whatever it is that you and I experience in life where we did not plan on that. We did not imagine it going that way and we did not want it to turn out like this. What if in the midst of that, we stop and reflect 
on the character of God and then choose to praise him amidst our trial? What if the trouble or the trial is the training? We're known as a, a community-minded church. Stephen mentioned earlier that VBS, we averaged about 215 kids. That's a large amount of kids. And it was only possible because this church family, this body of Christ, decided, I'm going to take vacation. I'm going to work late so that I can volunteer in the morning. I'm going to give the free time that I have that I could be home planting tomatoes or mowing my grass or whatever needs done at my house. I'm going to give that free time over to the Lord on behalf of my community. So our community kind of expects to see the way that we like to serve, the way that we'll pack a bus full of kids for dubs so they can learn the word and they can go serve the community. They can go on an adventure and have fun together. Or our kids will go to camp like Wonder Valley this last week for our elementary kids or CIY Move for our high school kids who incidentally had a really interesting road trip that I'm sure they'll share about with you uh, someday. Our community expects to see us do all of those things. They expect to see the food pantry open and feeding the hungry. And while we're doing those things, our community often sees us as smiley, happy people, as people who are very glad to be doing what we're doing. But friends, I'm imagining a community like us who are happy, who are filled with the joy of the Lord when we do those things. But what about when we're not winning? What about when we're, we're in that trial? We're in that bend in the road that we didn't see coming on this road trip, and we're beginning to suffer. We're beginning to go through something that we don't believe we deserve to go through, but I would contend that it's in those very moments that our coworkers, our classmates, our, our cul-de-sac neighbors are going to have their senses heightened because they know that you're walking through something difficult. Now, on your road trip has maybe not become the road trip of a life, but maybe your road trip right now is through a really dark valley. Maybe your road trip is like David to save your own life. Maybe you're traveling through something financial or medical or job-related or family-related that you never imagined encountering. Now imagine the world looking in while they see you suffer that. Will they see you stop? Will they see your trial become your training? Training in righteousness. Will they see us become more like the image of Jesus right next door? As I wrap up, I, I want to invite you guys to imagine this trip this trip that David took. Maybe you want to close your eyes to imagine it, but I wrote it out because this is not a scripture, but we talked about how David traveled from Nob to Gath. And what we didn't talk about is David's road trip and what that trip might have been like. So understand this is imagined. He's traveling probably the most harrowing journey of his life. He's trying to avoid more informants like Doeg, who know exactly who he is 
and know that King Saul wants his life. Imagine avoiding your own hometown, Bethlehem. Imagine avoiding the next nearest big city, Jerusalem. Imagine trying to walk around and away and outside of those towns. Kind of a road trip. You might call it the scenic route. But he's running for his life. Imagine as he makes his way from the tabernacle, the place that he would go to reconnect with God, the the city of priests, Nob. Imagine leaving there and then traveling through the wilderness to choose the off the beaten path route. Remember, David is carrying with him now that bread from the city of Nob, from the tabernacle. David is carrying with him the bread of the presence of the Lord. So as he's traveling through this road trip to save his life, he's eating the presence of God as he's fleeing for his life from what he thought was his home. He's not just traveling any road though. David is traveling through a familiar valley. He's traveling through a valley where a giant once stood proclaiming his own greatness. And he's traveling through a valley where four or five years earlier, David decided to stand in the face of certain death and proclaim the goodness of God, the faithfulness of a living God Imagine eating that bread of the presence. Imagine then the sword that David took from Nob. It's Goliath's sword. And this whole 26-mile trip, imagine this sword rubbing on his hip. And imagine David thinking it was the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God that delivered Goliath into my hands. I imagine that David might have walked through that valley that separates Nob and Jerusalem and Bethlehem and home as he travels through that valley to Gath. I imagine David with his home disappearing over his shoulder, shrinking smaller and smaller, being reminded that God is faithful to use our trials to train us. Friends, we don't travel through difficult road trips of life without hope. We have hope in a risen Savior who empowers us by his indwelling Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, as we pray, I'm gonna pray that that Holy Spirit then convicts you to see where you can reflect his glory in your life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the trials that train us. We ask that you would give us the strength and the boldness by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and lives to make us into the image of Jesus 
to reflect your goodness to our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.